Luke chapter 12. Today we continue our series that started many months ago in the Gospel of Luke. We've been going passage by passage, and today we'll be in Luke 12, verses 13 down to 21. And before we read those verses, let me uh, pull out my dad joke for the week. You guys hear about the two artists that had a contest. Yeah? The two artists that had a contest. It ended in a draw. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Luke 12, verse number 13. The Bible says, And one of the company said unto him, Sorry, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's pray about this passage. Father, help us this morning as we look at this passage and all that goes with it. Lord, I trust that you are here and that you will touch hearts where needed. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear No doubt, Father, you want to speak to us, help us to be attentive, sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants to do. Father, thank you for your exceeding great and precious promises. Thank you for the advice and the things we're going to learn from this passage. Help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to preach to you a simple title to this sermon, Being Rich Toward God. Rich Toward God. This week... Coincidentally, I found myself, me and my wife had an appointment at FFG. You know, they help with financial planning. And if I can put in a, a quick little advertisement, Brother Dane, he's our, he's our financial advisor. He helped us greatly. And we were looking at all sorts of uh, various plans for our financial future. And I, I believe that's good advice. We're going to talk more about that in a minute from this passage but it, it, it's, it's shocking sometimes that we take such care to prepare for our, our financial future, but we don't take time to prepare for our spiritual future, for our, as the Bible calls it, our long home, our long home, where you're going to be forever. We read in the book of Proverbs, it says in chapter 13, verse 7, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. What a sobering proverb. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Nothing. God forbid that proverb describes you this morning. 
I want to ask this question, and then we're going to talk about some of the dangling ideas that go with this theme for the sermon this morning. But here's what I'd like for you to consider throughout the message. Are you rich toward God? I want to encourage you to check your heavenly bank account, if you will. And I want to challenge you to talk to your soul like this man did in the passage and ask yourself, am I rich toward God? Now, I want to deal with that topic in three ways. And strangely enough, I'm going, to work, I'm going to start at the end of this passage and work our way back to the beginning, if that's all right. But the first thing I want to say is this. If you want to be rich toward God, number one, you need to invest while you can. Invest while you can. Do you see it in verse number 20? This man has God responding to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. This man thought he had longer. He thought he had more time to think about eternity, perhaps. He had made no preparation for eternity. So let me just use this as a reminder for all of us that this life uh, is shorter than you think. You blink, you're in school. You blink again, you matriculate. Blink again, university's done. Blink again, you're married. Blink again, kids. Blink again, grandkids. Blink again, you see Jesus. I mean, it's... The Bible says that our life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. The Bible says in the book of Job, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, my brethren, the time is short. As one poet very aptly put it, life is short, death is sure, sin the curse, Christ the cure. Life is short. And the older you get, the faster time goes by. Can, can I get an amen from my older folks? Isn't that true? I didn't understand it, and I don't expect any young person in the building today to fully appreciate how fast time will start moving the older you get. Redeem the time. While you have a chance, make some eternal, some heavenly, some spiritual investments. Some years ago, as many of you know, we have three children. Our youngest is still with us, but the other two have moved on. They're in America and doing very well, praise the Lord, serving God there in a great church. Our oldest is named Megan, and when Megan was going to university, of course, it's our, our turn to ante up. We had to pay for that. But because we are not South African citizens, we have permanent residency in your country, but we are not citizens. We are American citizens. So because of that, the, we were not allowed to pay monthly. We didn't know that. So when we went to sign up, they told her, sorry, Megan, you have to pay everything up front. Well, me being the finan- wink, wink, financial genius I am, I hadn't saved up for that. I had thought when the time comes, I will pay month to month. I'll add it to our bills. Well, then the university was kind enough to drop that bomb of a big number and say, this is what you owe, 47,000 rands. And I thought, okay, that's more than a hamburger. (laughs) What am I going to do about that? We only had a few months, so I I am not pleased to understand. I'm sharing this story with you so that you learn from my mistake, okay? Here was my great plan. I will go to the ATM as often as I can and withdraw money. And every time I withdraw money... Some of it will go to our daily and weekly expenses, but I will try to stash away a thousand rands 
And I have, if, you, if you've been in my office at my house, you know I have a, a long string of commentaries, biblical commentaries on, on one shelf. And I would put a thousand rand, every fourth chapter of the commentary, I'd put it, and I filled up those commentaries as best I could. I didn't even keep a running total. I just thought, well, when it comes time to go back and pay the bill, we'll see what God does. Now, guys, that is not how you prepare for the future. That's not even faith. That's called folly. That's foolishness. That's, that's not right. Actually, it was a few weeks after I paid for university that I went to FFG and figured I'd better get on top of this. <laughs> I kid you not, the day we had to pay for Megan's university, I took all the commentaries off the shelf, stacked them on my, on my desk, and I started to take the, the books one by one and dump them out like this. And the money just fell onto the, I made it rain. I made, the money was just <laughs> falling on the table. And I stacked it up and I counted it out. I kid you not, 47,000 rands on the dot. Now, I'm going to say praise the Lord, but that's just him being merciful. That's not him blessing my good plan. That's just him being very, very gracious to an idiot. <laughs> Here's what I'd like to tell you about that. I accidentally found enough money. You're not going to accidentally get to the judgment and find a way into heaven. That's not how it works. If, if you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can and I'm putting a few good works here and I, I go to church a little there and I read the Bible a bit here and hopefully when I get there, we'll just dump all my good works out and see if it's enough. That's not going to work. While you have a chance, you need to intentionally invest in that heavenly bank account and make a plan for your eternal future. I think back to the story of the thief on the cross. You remember when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves and Jesus was hanging there on the cross for six hours before he died. And the first three hours, both thieves were mocking Jesus and saying horrible things. But halfway through, one thief repented and he realized, what are we doing? This man has done nothing wrong, but we are, we're being punished justly. They were guilty of murder and sedition. He was a bad man and he knew it. And he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And in an amazing show of mercy, Jesus responded to that thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now I'll tell you a couple of unique things about that story. Number one... It is the only deathbed conversion in the Bible. Did you know that? It's the only case of it which tells us something. Number one, it's possible to get saved right at the end. But number two, it's rare. Don't push it. You better make a plan for your eternity while you can because while you're building bigger barns, you never know how close death is. And God says, thou fool, you have no plan for what's about to happen tonight. Do you have a plan? Have you made any plans for your eternal future? I think further, and this is just my imagination, I have no verses in the Bible to really help me fill in the blanks here. But work with me for a moment. Jesus promised the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise, yes? I believe it happened. I believe... After Jesus died and that thief died, they met up in paradise. How do you think that reunion went? They were just on the cross together a few hours before that. And there they are in paradise and that thief comes up to Jesus. 
And he says, thank you. I mean, tears streaming down his face. Wouldn't you have tears coming down your face? Tears coming down his face and saying, Jesus, thank you so much. Oh, I, did, I didn't deserve this. You, oh, I found full forgiveness in you. I called upon the name of the Lord and I was saved. And whew, I can see just across this great gulf that no man can pass. I can see those suffering in the torments of hell on the other side. That was almost me. I just want to say, thank you, Jesus, my Lord and my God. You saved me. And the tears of joy that would be running down his face. And at the same time, what might be a tear of joy coming from this side would be a tear of regret coming out of the other because he would realize, I just barely got here. The only thing that I ever did that was meaningful in the everlasting and spiritual sense was in my last moments turning to Jesus and say, please, just have mercy. That's the only thing I ever did for God. Friend, can I ask you today, please think about this. You don't want to just get to heaven. People think that way sometimes. Well, you know, as long as I get to heaven, that's all that matters. Not when you get there, there's a whole lot more that'll matter. There's a song we sing in our hymn book, Must I Go In Empty-Handed? That's a question you want to ask yourself. Because it's one thing to be saved... That'll get you to heaven. It's another thing to be rich toward God. And if you want to be rich toward God, invest while you can. Don't wait till the last moment. Secondly, let's work our way back up in the passage a little bit. Verses 16 down to 19. If you want to be rich toward God, store up appropriately. That is to say, save up the things that are important to God. So verse number 16, we have this parable that Jesus gives about the rich man and he's going to build bigger barns. A couple things I think we should note here. A savings account is not a bad idea. All right, let's just make this clear. Verse 16, 17, 18, there's actually nothing wrong with this man's plan. He has had a good harvest and, and he's looking at it thinking, where am I going to put all of this, this fruit, this harvest? Well, I need bigger barns. There's actually nothing wrong with this in other places in the Bible, Old and New Testament. You'll find several verses that talk about planning for your financial future and a savings account and investment accounts. You can find that in the Bible. Didn't Jesus talk about five foolish virgins and five wise virgins? What did the foolish ones do? They spent it all up and had nothing for later. The five wise made a plan and said, we know we're going to need some later. We're going to come to it. Eventually, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus commended the unjust steward. A steward is a business manager. Why? Because he made a financial plan for his future. Jesus commended that. So there's nothing wrong with looking at your assets and making a plan for the future. That is commendable. The problem is verse 19. This is where things went off the rails. This gentleman, this rich man has a conversation with himself. You understand the soul is the real you. Your soul is the real you. So now he's having one of those inward conference meetings. And, and he's talking with himself. Soul, and I believe that this, hard to say that this would maybe be the first time he ever spoke to his soul. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture out a little bit here. 
and say that this man probably has never had a conversation with his soul about eternity. And the reason I say that is because of what he says in verse 19. What was his goal? We can, we can indirectly see what his goal, the goal of his life was. What was the goal? Bigger barns. And now that he has accomplished that goal, he says to his soul, Hey, we made it. We have achieved everything we set out to do. Man, take it easy, retire early, eat, drink, be merry. We're good. This was his goal. This is what he thought his life was meant to be. His life consisted in the abundance of the things that he possessed. He thought it was enough. We know what he said to his soul in verse 19. Now look at it. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Do you see the problem with that? Those goods that are laid up in the bigger barns have nothing to do with your soul. If, if, the, if this man wants to have a proper conversation, you would say, flesh, thou hast... That would be the right way to say it. So I'm going to suggest a different conversation. Maybe it should have sounded like this. This rich man, had he had the goal of being rich toward God and then been blessed with a good harvest, he would have said to himself, soul, God's been really good to you. Don't you dare forget who provided all of this. Soul, you have a unique and rare opportunity to spend more time paying attention to spiritual things because your physical things have been taken care of. Soul, you better be thankful. Soul, you better be mindful of who provided it. Soul, your flesh has plenty but soul, what do you have? Soul, do you have anything waiting for you on the other side of this life? That would have been the proper outcome. Verse 16, 17, 18, I really don't struggle with what he did. But when you get to verse 19, now that you have the goods of this world, what am I going to do with these tools that God has put into my hands? And if you're going to use them just to satisfy the rest of what you think your life is meant to be, completely vain. And you end up with nothing. He that maketh himself rich yet hath nothing. Jesus spoke to a church in the book of Revelation. You remember this, chapter 3, the church of the Laodiceans. It's the only church, by the way, out of all seven churches, it's the only church that talked back to Jesus. It represents the day and age in which we live, by the way. You know the word Laodicea means civil rights, people's rights. Power to the people. That's it. We're, we're living in that time, that Laodicean time. And Jesus says to that church, I would, you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And Jesus, he, they respond to Jesus with, but thou sayest, forgive me, Jesus is explaining what they say, but thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Their response to Jesus is, no, we're doing fine. I am I'm rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Jesus said, but thou knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel thee therefore to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You know what Jesus challenged that end times church to do? Ask yourself, church, are you rich toward God? It's okay if you're a different version of rich. If you have the goods of this world, you're not sinning. But that doesn't make you rich toward God. It doesn't make you ready to step from this life into eternity. So you better start storing up some gold that has been tried in the fire. You say, Brother Mike, how is it that we can get rich toward God? How do we purchase that gold tried in a fire? I almost, and I was tempted to just preach a completely separate sermon about all the various ways to lay up treasure in heaven. I'm going to take everything I studied and try to bring it down into one sentence. I'll condense it to say this. You need a biblical faith tested by real life application. A biblical faith tested by real life application. Let me illustrate that. Jesus gave a parable about a sower going out to sow seeds. You guys remember that? Some fell by the wayside, some on stony ground, some on thorny ground. And then others fell on good ground, and it brought forth 30, 60, 100-fold. Remember that? What did the seed represent in that parable? The seed is the Word of God. The sower is the Son of Man. What's the ground? Your heart. So what happens? The sower, Jesus, takes His words and, and plants them in your heart. Now, excluding the categories that don't bring forth any fruit, I'm going to talk about the one category that does. Sometimes, Jesus gives you something from the Bible, you hear something in a sermon, it sinks into your heart, you begin to apply what He has taught you from His Word, and all of a sudden, your life becomes fruitful. 30, 60, 100 fold, and this fruit is popping up. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? You know what a smart move would be? Brother Dane, help me with an amen on this if I get it right. Take some of that windfall and reinvest. Okay, good. Amen. All right. Reinvest some of that. So watch what happens. Here's the word of Christ. It was given to me. And now I stand in the pulpit. See, I've applied this and I know it works. It changed my life. Peace that passes understanding, joy, comfort, all that. I've seen it work. And now I've seen that fruit come in my life. So now I'm taking these words and I'm giving them to you. You see what's happening? It brought forth fruit in my life. And now I'm reinvesting it in how many dozens of people today. And if you will apply it in real life situations, the fruit comes up. And then you can tell the next person, hey, the word of Christ is powerful. This stuff works. And all of a sudden, your heavenly bank account, uh, bank account just starts growing and growing. And that's how you get rich toward God. It is a biblical faith tested by real life application. This means you might have to endure some persecutions. The changes you make based on the Word of God may not be popular. That's why the gold is tried by the fire. But it only makes it more precious when you stand before the Lord and say, despite the challenges, I did it because this was meaningful to you, God. The world hated it, but you wanted this. You told me so. So I stored up something that meant something to you. Store, if you want to be rich toward God, store up appropriately. 
And then lastly, let me come to the beginning of our passage. Verses 13 to 15. If you want to be rich toward God, accept what the Lord is offering. Now, I'm obviously going to have to unpack that a bit. But I I think this is a very fair statement, and I think most of you would agree with this. People often misunderstand why Jesus came. They take him as the great genie that came down, you rub the bottle, and he's just going to make all your problems disappear and make you wealthy and healthy and the whole prosperity thing. And people fail to realize just exactly what Jesus came to do. Look at it in verse 14. Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? There's nothing wrong with the judge and the divider. There are people that are delegated by the government and by various corporations. They do the paperwork and they divide inheritance in a family. There's nothing wrong with that. But but Jesus is saying, if you think I came to settle those little things, I don't think you understand exactly what I came to do. God did not send me here to fulfill that function. Could Jesus have settled this small family squabble about the inheritance being divided with the brothers? Sure, Jesus could have, but there was a much bigger problem that Jesus needed to address. Here's a verse you all know. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What is that abundant life? It's not the bigger barns. It's not the bigger barns. Luke chapter 16. Do you want to see it? Just turn a couple pages to the right and you'll see it. Luke 16. Look with me in verse 11. Good old 1611. Luke 1611 says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's the world's wealth. If if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the what? What's the next two words? True riches. Do you have any of those? True riches? So what are those true riches? This goes back to the words of Christ. The Bible says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know why the words of Christ are so valuable? They explain God perfectly to you. They explain what God expects from you in your life perfectly. That's why they're so valuable. So accept what the Lord is offering. The Lord is not coming down here to make sure you get a fair shake in every business deal. The Lord didn't show up so that every time you ask, God, please help me get the job, help me pass the test, I want this, I want that. God has no intention of raising a bunch of spoiled brats in His family. Jesus came to give you an abundant life and that is only found in fellowship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That that blood is what washes away the sins and allows you to come close to God and experience something that nothing else, you won't find it anywhere else in the world. Something that will last beyond the grave. I thought about it like this. I don't know if this makes sense. Just hypothetically speaking, pretend... Pretend you have a house on a plot here in South Africa. This isn't too much of a stretch, actually. You have wires, you have light bulbs, you have a DB board, but you have no power source. Are, are, we, there? are we together? 
Okay. All right. We're good. Amen. We're sitting here in load shedding. This is very appropriate. Amen. You have no backup generator, no solar power, but you, you have the inner workings, right? You, you could get the lights on, but you have no power source. Now, again, hypothetical. I'm just making this up. Out of nowhere, it's Elon Musk. I don't know why he showed up at your door, but well done. There he is. You invite him in for a braai and tea and, and uh, you know, whatever goes with that. And you chat for a while and, and Mr. Musk is very impressed with you and he wants to help you. And he says, listen, anything I can help with, I would love to be a blessing to you. What would you like? What can I do for you? Now, now you remember, you don't have a power source. Okay. So, and you, and you have Elon Musk who shoots rockets to Mars. So, so what do you ask from him? You say, Mr. Musk, you know what I would really like? I'm not sure if one of those light bulbs in the bedroom works or not. Could you just go change the light bulb just in case? He says, you just want me to change the light bulb? He says, yeah, I, I, I don't know. When, when and if we get a power source, I don't know if that's going to come on. If you could just change that for me, that'd be good. Do you know what you're wasting? And in a small way, doesn't that answer to somebody going, Jesus, please help me with this little thing or that? And when I say little, I know in the moment it feels like a big thing to you. But when you measure it against eternity, what are you leaving on the table? Here Jesus comes and says, I'm offering you a way back to the Father, reconciliation, forgiveness, redemption. I'm giving you justification, my righteousness as a free gift, an eternal walk with God. And what do we say? Help me get my fair cut of the inheritance. <laughs> Boy, I, I, I'm heartbroken that you leave that behind. It makes me think of Esau. Here he has a birthright. What does he do? I'll take, it, I'll take the bowl of beans instead. He had a chance to be used of God in a special and unique way, but he left it behind. Because something was more important to him. He didn't value that birthright like he should have. Perhaps some of you have heard the name C.T. Studd, Charles Studd. He was a great missionary of yesteryear. He was from Britain. He was a cricketer for a while. Is it cricketer or cricketeer? He was a cricket player. He actually played in the first ever, I don't even know what I'm saying here, the Ashes. Is that a thing? He played in the first ever Ashes match. He's pretty good, evidently. C.T. Studd gave all that up once he got saved. Great story of how he got saved. In 1885, he went to China and worked with the China Inland Mission. After a successful time of ministry there, he got a burden for India. And in 1900 to 1906, he labored in India and saw God do many things there. After a brief furlough in London, in, in England, let's say, he, he developed a burden for Africa. And in 1910, he went to the Sudan and then eventually found his way into the Congo. And for the next 21 years of his life, until his dying breath, he was there in the Congo. C.T. Studd left behind a very famous and powerful poem. I want you to listen to every word as I close. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, Thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing Thee in my daily life, only one life, twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for Thee and Thee alone, bringing Thee pleasure on Thy throne, only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I circle back to my question for you today. Are you rich toward God? Say, I, I, I want to I work on that. I want to be rich toward God. Then you better get busy while you can. It will soon be passed. You better lay up something that is meaningful to God. His will be done. Folks, you better pay attention to exactly what Jesus came to offer. Don't seek to fulfill your dreams and wishes rather understand what Jesus came to do and that was to set you right with God so that one day when you hear that call you can say "Twas worth it all let's all stand if you would please heads bowed and eyes closed heads bowed and eyes closed we'll have the pianist come and play something for just a few moments and I want to give you an opportunity today Have a little conversation with your soul. There's an altar here in the front. If you'd like to come and investigate a little deeper, you're welcome to come forward and pray. If you'd like to bow the knee where you're at, you can do that. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll give everybody a moment of privacy. Ask yourself this all-important question. Soul, what do you have? Soul, are you rich toward God?
Brethren, before you know it, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ standing right in front of you. Friend, if you've never been saved, you're going to meet Him as judge. If you're saved, you're going to meet Him as redeemer. But either way, you'll stand before Him. Are you ready for that day? Have you considered your eternity? I want this to be clear. You cannot lay up treasure in heaven until you open the bank account. So how do I do that? You must be born again. You must go to God through Christ. God, I'm a sinner. And I have big barns filled with this world's good, but my soul is empty. The only thing I have are the filthy rags of my best efforts. And loads and loads of sin. God, I believe that your son died for me. I believe your son and he alone can save me. Please, God, save me. That's how you open the bank account. The spiritual one, the heavenly one. If you've never done that, you can do it even now. If you would like to chat about it, perhaps you have questions. As soon as we're done, we're going to pray here in a moment. As soon as we're done, you're eight. Please, please. I'd love for you to stop by and say, Pastor, can we chat about that? And we'll go aside privately. No, nobody will embarrass you. won't be awkward at all. It'll be a privilege to show you from the Bible how to be saved. If you've already been born again, check that spiritual app today, that, that banking app. Just take a look and see what the balance is. Are you rich toward God? Father, thank you today. We have the words of Christ right here in our hands. What powerful words they are. Lord, we know that one day this life will be passed. Help us, God. Help us to focus, to redouble our efforts on doing something that will last. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you for planting seeds in our hearts and our lives that can grow and bring forth fruit unto God. Lord, if there are some people here not saved, please, God, bring conviction, bring them to Christ, and bring them soon. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing. We love you. We look forward to hearing more from you later. In Jesus' name, amen.